Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor at large at Sports Pro. Hope you're doing very well indeed. We are going to be talking today about the impact of coronavirus shutdown on the world of esports. Um, very happy to have with us uh, Alban Deschalot, the head of sponsorship and business development at Riot Games. Hi, Alban. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on, and thanks as well to Julian Tan, the head of digital business initiatives and esports at Formula One. Hi, Julian. Hi, Owen. Thanks for having me as well. Uh, we're going to be hearing a little bit later on as well from John Clark, the chief executive of Gfinity. He's been talking to Ed Dixon. Before we do get on, I mean, we uh, we spoke, guys, a, a few weeks ago now uh, in the first of the Sports Pro Insider Series events, our, um, our fortnightly virtual conference series, which continues this week uh, with a look at digital strategy. Um, that's on Wednesday, the 13th of May and Thursday, the 14th of May. So you will still have a chance to join us live if you're listening to this podcast as it comes out. And you will, of course, also be able to get free on-demand access to that event and all the rest that we've got coming up uh, in our digital series there through the summer. So they're happening every fortnight. Head to sportsproinsiderseries.com uh, to register your details and get free live and on-demand access to all of those. Guys, I mean, this is some of this is ground that we will have covered in that session. Uh, some of it is obviously, you know, will, will be slightly updated and slightly newer. But really, we're just looking at, you know, you guys are coming kind of at, at this as, from a sports industry perspective. You're coming at this from two different sides because, Alban, obviously you're, you know, representing an organization that is a, you know, a giant of the kind of what you might say, uh, a kind of pure esport, you know, something that's come from the gaming world that's all about um, competition in that context. And Julian, you're with a, a sports rights holder who have uh, had to react and accelerate some of uh, their esports activities to kind of fill a, a bit of a content gap uh, while while real racing hasn't been taking place. Um, but I just wanted to get get a sense from each of you, first of all, of how your organisations have, have reacted to uh, some of the lockdown and social distancing measures that we've seen in territories around the world and some of the challenges that they've created. Because you know, I mean, Alban, from from your perspective, League of Legends has also, you know, has as much of a dependence or has a, has a significant dependence anyway uh, on live events. And, and you've had to adapt those quite heavily, you know, to to accommodate um, some of the measures to, to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, the first thing is like um, Riot Games is a, is a game publisher. So when we think about continuity, we don't think also only about the sports. We also think about the, the game itself. So make sure the players can keep playing the game. Um, and as you said, like um, as any other sports, uh, we'd love to celebrate the, the best teams and the players by inviting them to uh, host like a bigger than live shows in big arenas. And on that front, we were impacted as anybody else. But for us, the priority were one, uh, safe and healthness for the players and the fans. Two, the continuity of the show, free the integrity. So maintain the integrity was meaningful in terms of like making sure that the winners of this competition have the same you know honors as any any other season uh we have been lucky in a way because i mean 
uh, League of Legends is a truly global esports in the sense that we have a huge league in China, we have league in Korea. So we have seen this coming a bit earlier maybe than other sports because all colleagues were facing the challenges already in China and Korea. So we have been working um, probably like a month or so earlier uh, on the crisis uh, scenarios and the triggers we should monitor to take the right course at the right time. So for example, we decided to cancel uh, our live show event in Budapest uh, probably like a month before uh, the local authorities would have canceled it. And mm. we took this decision just to be ready to pivot and just to be ready when no fans have already bought their tickets and to focus on like the best experience possible. I mean, what what are the implications of that? Because it's it's not just you know for esports, it's not just a live event. You can you can run a competition, but it's not just that you can't have fans if you've got the competitors having to be you know taking part remotely as well. That that creates its own set of challenges. Yeah, I mean, like, first of all, it's not that easy. <laughs> um, I mean, my production team knows that now. When you get players from the same region, then the latency between uh, the two teams playing each other is is minimum, is acceptable, I would say. But, for example, if you want to organize a game between a Chinese team and a European team, the travel time from the feed makes it almost impossible to maintain the integrity of the sports. So as you've probably seen that we have managed to continue the show and the competition in Europe, in US, even in China and Korea on a local level, we have been forced to cancel the competition that was opposing the international regions. For one reason is because they were not able to travel. Um, so, so that's kind of like a, like a thing that people forgot in a way that they feel it's, it's possible to to maintain the sports because we are online, but actually even online, we have some some challenges there. Uh, on the broadcast side, you're right. I mean, the broadcast side, clearly uh, we can broadcast online games and we don't have the same implication than like traditional sports in terms of filming the stadium. We are able to continue the broadcast and the numbers we have as like, we actually had more viewers than we had last year. So that's the positive side. And this big pandemic for us. Julian, how has the experience been from your perspective? Because you'd have gone into the season thinking, okay, we're a, uh, a complementary event to, to you know, the Formula One World Championship. And suddenly here you are with as, as the primary focus for a, a lot of Formula One fans. Yeah, it's been, it's been certainly very interesting. You know, I think that in many respects, when we look back at, you know, the real impetus as to why we entered the world of esports back in 2017. I think the the ambition there was always around how we could reach out to a younger audience, right? And I think that going back to Formula One as a sport, it's no secret that we have an aging audience. And it's through initiatives like esports that we're able to kind of reach out to that younger audience. Now, fast forward two and a half years later, you know, we are in this position where most, if not all, of sports is uh, very severely affected by the um, the pandemic. And we are a little bit fortunate, I suppose, to have had the experience and have this asset that we have in esports, you know, having had two and a half years to develop it, to suddenly say, actually, we, we might be able to do something about this. We might be able to use our esports property and asset to help 
you know, plug the gap. And I think that in many ways we were very um, we were very aware of the role that esports plays, you know, as part of our wider sport. You know, I think that we know that Formula One as a sport is a very unique and special sport. It's not a re- it's, it cannot be replaced by esports. But how can we still use esports to provide racing entertainment for our fans during a time where they would otherwise have real life racing? So we found ourselves in a very unique position to be able to further develop our esports properties in response to to the pandemic. And I think that what we've been seeing from the numbers themselves and from the feedback that we've been having from our fans, it's been very well received. And they, you know, in the absence of being able to have real life racing, you know, I think that having this form of virtual racing over the weekends have been very well received. From your perspective, what went into the design of uh, of the virtual Grand Prix concept? You know, because you had an existing esports series, but you then had to do something really quite quickly where you could bring in some of the uh, the the, the uh, real life Grand Prix races, but also bring in esports drivers, bring in other personalities, other sports people. That that's the way that you've gone with this. How much was it reactive? How much was it creative? Basically, I think the strategy has been very clear. I think part of the a big part of the success that we've seen in esports is our flexibility to be able to use gaming and to use competitive gaming in a way that can serve different needs. And I think part of the beauty of esports is that you do have that flexibility. You are able to kind of tailor your product into different types of products to meet different needs. As you say, Yoan, the kind of uh, our experience in esports has always been in our F1 esports series, which is the professional virtual championship. And in itself has, um, you know, its own objectives. We felt like there was a real opportunity to actually create something unique in response to the situation that we're seeing. You know, I think that at the, at the very center of it, it is still competitive gaming, but it's more focused around how we can actually get our Formula One drivers, drivers for example, to engage. And again, it's, it's in response to, to the situation that we're in, right? So we've had to be a little bit reactive, but at the same time being very clear about why we are doing it and how we're going to be developing this this product. Because in many ways, the virtual Grand Prix is a completely different product from our F1 eSports series, both still existing within our eSports program and eSports estate, but they are very different in the demographics that they would necessarily serve. They're very different in the format and kind of what, what it is that we're trying to get out of that and how we're gonna hit those objectives. You know, they're, they're very distinct products, but they serve different needs. And, and these, these two are our broadcast products, but we also have our um, physical activations that we have at our Grand Prix as well, where we use esports as an immersive experiential element for our race goers. So, you know, I think we've been very successful in this space because we've had the courage, I suppose, to use esports to our advantage and define um, a product set that is flexible enough and diverse enough to be able to meet different needs in in its most effective way. Album, what's the impact of um, of all of this being on on your audience numbers? I mean, how what changes have you seen? I'm not necessarily talking about whether things are just going up or going down, but you know how how is um, 
how's the engagement behaved in this time? I think there's a, there's a short-term impact and there's a long-term impact. On the short-term, uh, people have, have more free time and, and there's less offer. Um, so I think um, it's not a surprise that the viewership numbers are slightly up despite some of the problems we had on like technical problems for sounds or the, the quality of a broadcast being not exactly on power of what we deliver on the, on the normal basis. But despite all this, uh, and despite the fact that some of the games were like super short compared to norm, we have seen an increase, uh, a significant increase on the viewership. On the long term, uh, we have seen some, some impact on the, on the game League of Legends. We have seen some players discovering the game we have seen players inviting their friends to discover the game. And we have seen players coming back to the game. And I think that's the, probably the, the biggest impact for us is that uh, intrinsically esports for us is connected to the experience of playing League of Legends. And, and these new players or these recurring players uh, definitely has, has a long-term impact for us with a more potential for growth. And players that want to be inspired, educated by the pros uh, and we'll, we'll sooner or later, if we give them the right reason to join us, become fans of esports. So, do you think that the audience that you're seeing viewing League of Legends games online is that coming from your gaming audience predominantly, rather than uh, rather than an audience that might not have anywhere else to go? Basically, when there's no live sport on. Yes, so, so far, I mean, and, and that has been the vision of of Bright Games for for since the beginning is like we I preserve our super fans. Uh, so we really focus on the players and we see esports as an extending experience as an added value to the player experience. So uh, it's actually all strategy not to try to expand to fans of other games or uh, fans of other sports. Uh, we believe that uh, the experience is centered around the playing experience and enhance through the esports experience. Julian, how does that uh, correspond with your experience of, of what's been happening to your audiences? Obviously, you've done some things to stimulate interest from different audiences as well, outside of Formula One, where you've had, uh, you know, Thibaut Courtois and, and Ben Stokes and, and people like that come in and race. Where are you seeing your, your audience come from for the Virtual Grand Prix series? For our Virtual Grand Prix, I think the, again, the original thesis was how we can actually plug the, the the racing calendar, right? And I think that as a consequence of that, we recognize that a big part of our audience comes from the traditional Formula One base, who may or may not be super familiar with esports or watch um, a lot of esports themselves. So how we tailored the product was was with them in mind as well, right? I think we we wanted to make sure that it provided a, a, an authentic experience for them. And we're very lucky to have a, a very realistic game that uh, looks visually appealing. And from a, viewers, uh, from a viewer's perspective, watching the virtual race looks very, very similar and very close to the real one. So it already helps bridge that gap, um, which is a good thing. So thinking about how we developed the, the product itself, you know, we wanted to try and see how we could mirror it as closely to the real world as possible, recognizing that really our traditional F1 fans want to see some racing between their heroes on an F1 weekend. So that was how we built the product. You know, we want to have as many Formula One drivers participating as possible to provide that, that racing action that's, you know, for, for a bit of fun, for a bit of relief for our fans. Now, we recognize, of course, that there may be 
you know, certain F1 drivers who um, might be busy on a weekend or we won't be able to necessarily fill the entire grid. So it's, it's, it's a real opportunity for us to actually use those slots to invite, you know, um, personalities from other sports or from wider media to engage in racing and, and stand together in racing to provide our fans something to enjoy. And we've seen a lot of success, actually, you know, having um, cross-pollinated with the likes of Ben Stokes, you know, with Sergio Aguero over the weekend, you know, just having the, you know, audiences from different sports or different demographics watch the virtual Grand Prix as perhaps maybe their first, you know, foray into Formula One and into motorsports. I think we've seen a lot of success there. And similarly, I think that in many ways, we're very lucky because racing is also very easy to understand, right? We have we have the luxury, I suppose, of, of being able to put on a virtual race and have almost anyone tune in and, and be able to kind of follow what's happening on the track. So it's helped us tap into a wider audience um, beyond the traditional motorsports fans who, you know, we are also taking as a central tenet really in terms of the the main audience that we want to serve but also recognize that we do have an opportunity here to tap into a wider audience as well you're listening to the sports pro podcast i guess what i'm trying to get to with with that is you know for both of you really but one of the hypotheses that we saw right at the start of all of this kind of in in the middle of march when we were seeing uh, live sporting events being cancelled was that you would see some migration from sports into esports, um, and then it would fill the gap, whether through through licensed games like like Formula One game uh, or FIFA or what have you, or just people who were seeking some kind of uh, live competition. I mean, to what extent has that been your experience, um, both of you, and and to what extent is that a bit of an oversimplification of uh, of the relationship between those two sets of audiences? Yeah, and like um, from our side, it's like we have received some some requests from broadcast partners. We have received some discussion with like people trying to expand um, or show in different languages and things like that. I think for most of it, we we did pass on it uh, because it was already very difficult for us to imagine like continue the show as we know it today <laughs> to start to explore it on TV, you know. Like we were just trying to get sound on the broadcast, not trying to deliver it to a satellite. So, so, um, so that was that's the first thing. And then the second thing is also, I think we were like not trying to take advantage of the situation. We're just trying to go through it and and by focusing on the long term, by trying to to continue the show and bring the, the entertainment to our fans, it was already uh, enough of a challenge for us. Yeah, and how about you, Julian? Are you finding I suppose it's probably slightly different for the reasons that you've already explored, you know, the the similarity of the spectacle, I guess, being one of them. But are you finding that there's more, uh, that it's more complex than just your, you're seeing your typical Formula One audience coming across to watch these races? Yeah, I think the reality is more people are spending time gaming um, as as a result of staying at home. And what this means is obviously not only are people engaging more in gaming, it's becoming a bigger form of entertainment, whether through direct participation. And as a consequence of that, if you have more people participating in, in video gaming, you will have more people necess- w- watching other people play video games as well, which is, you know, I think 
the what well, at least from what we've seen in the data, definitely true. You know, we've seen a huge uptake in in people playing the Formula One game, and it's um it's a symbiotic relationship as well with the virtual Grand Prix. You know, as more people watch the virtual Grand Prix, they also pick up the game and vice versa. They kind of reinforce each other. But you know, I think that there is there is no question. I think that gaming and esports right now is you know getting a lot of attention, getting a lot of prominence, and uh, for for a sports sports brand like ours, I think where there are a lot of synergies to be made between our virtual and real world products, it's just made a lot of uh, strategic sense to develop and and you know further. Uh, yeah, further develop the the opportunities that we have in this space. At, you know, during this time, where does that where does that take the esports industry as we come out of this? It, it, is there going to have been any kind of any kind of profound change to to what your audience profile is going to be, or will there have been an opportunity to educate other parts of the industry? What what do you see as being uh, uh, being some of the consequences of this? I think for the first, just kind of seeing the anecdotal evidence that we're seeing in terms of the response that our, say, traditional Formula One fans have, you know, started watching our virtual Grand Prix. I think initially, prior to this pandemic, there, there might have been a little bit more hesitance um, to engage and enjoy virtual racing. But, you know, now that we have virtual racing on and they've had a chance to kind of, you know, give it a go and give it a try, a lot of them have actually said that they, they see why it's super exciting. And this is true even back when we had our F1 eSports series. Um, I think a lot of the resistance comes from, say, people who haven't necessarily had the exposure within, within eSports who might feel like it's something that they won't like. But until they have actually given it a go, they realize actually, hey, this is this is this could be really interesting. This is actually really quite exciting racing to be able to watch. So, you know, I think more than anything, we know that um, coming out of this, the just general perception towards you know virtual racing and towards esports is maybe you know you have more exposure, which is in itself a great thing. Um, we've also used this opportunity to elevate our F1 esports series. So prior to the virtual Grand Prix, we have the pro exhibition that takes place between the professional gamers on the Formula One game. And uh, yeah, they produce a really, really exciting racing. So, you know, I think when we do come out of this this situation, you know, I think it's it's not inconceivable to think that, you know, you have more people exposed to gaming and to esports. And hence, you know, you will have more acceptance as well as as the industry continues to mature and continues to grow. Albin, what's your uh, what's your take on that? I think from a, from a fan point of view, they have been very uh, positive and, and they have been very thankful that we, we continue the show. From a players and team point of view, I think they recognize that we took all the possible uh, measures to uh, protect them and not to force them in any ways um, to continue the show uh, to, to avoid any further infection. So on that, I think it's it's just like a positive feedback. What is the most uh, astonishing and positive outcome from my point of view is actually on the B2B side, because uh, I think in the absence of traditional sports, a lot of like linear TVs, a lot of like uh, brands had actually discovered and took more time to understand what was this phenomenon. 
So I don't think we'll have to explain again to many of the big sponsors what is the difference between gaming and esports, and and what is the difference between simulation of sports or actual uh, endemic or like pure esports uh, disciplines. And I think that's that's the biggest uh, outcome from us is more kind of like again a long term impact instead of like just a short term. What what's the what's the response been from your partners, Alban? I mean, you know, the, the, it's been a challenge I think in marketing generally and in advertising generally to to find ways to connect with people that are meaningful, that aren't kind of insensitive, but also aren't kind of bandwagon jumping uh, when it comes to, uh, to, to exp- you know, expressions of what people are going through right now. So what opportunities have there been for people to connect um, with audiences in, in League of Legends? Well, first, I have to say we are very lucky because we have partners that are invested in the long term. They recognize that it's not about an association with like a, LEC or League of Legends, it's about a connection with the community. So they recognize that what we're trying to do was actually a great mitigation plan of well, what would have happened if the community was not around. So they have been very flexible, very understanding, and they work with us to build some great experience for fans, you know. So I'm going to name, for example, uh, Warner Music, which, you know, we're, we're talking in general with Warner Music how we can bring more uh, great songs to our audience and one day to be able to do a live performance at one of our show like we have seen for global events and uh, due to the COVID-19 we kind of like brainstormed and ideated and we came up with the idea to do a live performance from home so um, so one of the biggest stars in Germany a DJ uh, actually created a performance for the opening of our final like we never done before even at the live events uh, another example is KitKat, who was planning to do a lot of activities at the underground in Budapest, who actually transformed all their plan into a virtual version of that to give away some some care gift for all the fans at home. So I think it's it's two things. One, have a great partner that sees the long term and build a relationship even when it's tough like this time. And two, people that are flexible enough, agile enough to create like the right experiences for the fans, taking into advantage of the context also building some new ideas based on this context. How about for you, Gillian? Are you learning more about what works um, commercially in, uh, in, in, in the esports space as, as, you know, distinct from the live space? Yeah, I think certainly a lot. Um, you know, I think with every, certainly with every virtual Grand Prix and every esports event that we put on, we have a lot of learnings. I think one thing that's very encouraging to see from a commercial perspective is, as you know, we are in this situation where a lot of live sport is, you know, put on hold. Um, we have, you know, more brands, I suppose, more non-endemic brands actually looking into esports as a potential growth area. And you know, I think for for us with our esports properties, sort of maybe sitting somewhere in, in the intersection between you know real life sport and what I would call maybe the traditional esports, the likes of League of Legends and and Fortnite. You know, I think that we we're seeing you know um, sort of non-endemic brands starting to to see how they can get involved, um, and you know, looking at at esports a little bit more seriously, which is a good thing. And for each of you, I mean, you've you know, you've each touched a bit upon the difference between temporary trends and and longer-lasting ones. But for each of you, how is this going to affect what your plans are? 
um, for the next year or so, and and then you know coming in, coming into something more like normality. I think for us, uh, it's 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 questioning the way we have been doing things. You know, uh, we have learned a lot how we could work remote, like everybody else in the industry, like like what is a what is the need for live meetings when we can do all these things when we are spread apart. Uh, we have learned a lot about uh, remote capabilities. We created some new remote capabilities in this uh, in this um, context. And we also learned that although live events had value to the experience of the fans on, on site, there's a, there's a world where we could do less of these events to do more events in general, just doing this remotely. So I think it's not the definite answer, the small like, question that this learnings will bring us uh, and, and challenging the status quo in terms of like what we have been doing for the last 10 years in well, very, very new sports, but it's a good time for us to reflect about what is the future and how we can take the best of this situation to learn new things. I agree. I, I agree completely. I think it's, it's certainly given us an opportunity to step back and question a lot of the kind of areas that we would consider status quo. Um, you know, within within esports, I think we've also seen the opportunity that we have been able to kind of use our our esports property to to fill different needs. You know, I think the the learnings that we will have at the end of this, you know, once we once we emerge from from this crisis, is invaluable. You know, I think that we will we will know uh, and be a little bit more informed as to what the potentials are within. How we can use esports um, certainly for for our sport and for our brand to further different objectives, whether it is you know on our core F1 esports program or F1 esports series, the virtual championship, or you know further diversification of that product set, or you know whether it's uh, marketing partnerships that can be done over gaming. I think there are a lot of different um, ideas and a lot of different learnings we can take forward. Okay, well, I think that takes us to the end of the, the first part of this Sports Pro podcast. We're going to be hearing next from John Clark, the Chief Executive of Gfinity. Uh, he's been talking to Ed Dixon about the E-Premier League, uh, about the role of broadcasters uh, in bringing esports to a wider audience uh, during the sporting shutdown, um, about the involvement of athletes, which we've talked a bit about uh, in this section, um, and, you know, drawing their personal audiences in and, and, and creating engagement in that way uh, and a few other things besides. Um, so that is coming up just after this. Help us spread the word about the Sports Pro podcast. Subscribe, like and share our content on social. Join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag SportsProPod. And if you're enjoying our work, why not leave us a rating and a nice review on your podcast platform of choice. And if you want to get in touch, you can send us an email, podcast at sportspromedia.com. The Sports Pro Podcast, we're listening to. The perception has been that the current climate is a massive opportunity for esports across the whole sector. From your perspective, is it as simple as that? What's your take on it? I wouldn't say it's quite. I wouldn't say it's quite as simple as that. I think, uh, you know, generally it's there's it's very challenging, very challenging times that we're all that we're all going through. And I think if you are involved in large scale live events. Um, in the esports environment, I think you're facing exactly the same challenges that traditional sport faces. You know, and this is no no is cancellations and no and no fans for the foreseeable future. I think the advantage that gaming has 
over traditional sports that it's first and foremost an online activity. You know, it's 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 uh, you know that's where people first experience of uh, gaming on on computers and uh, and and tablets and phones. So when you have that uh, as, as the foundation, I think it creates more opportunities for you. And I think what you're going to start seeing more of is the uh, opportunity to create more entertain, entertainment-based competitive gaming shows, um, rather than just the what do you think where you were with the traditional esports, um, you know, the large esports events, um, which already have a very very large um, fan base, and so that is that that exists. Sometimes people think that you know this esports phenomenon is, is a bit peripheral but you know the reality is it isn't you know you've got situations where in the u.s last year you know more people watch youtube gaming than watch netflix um and it's a younger it's a younger generation that's uh, that's doing it and I, I think what's held up um the push of gaming into the mainstream is is the lack of traditional media buy-in um and there's a little bit of a not for us mentality if you're bbc or you're sky or depending on who you may be um, but I think now you can see because of the situation we're in at the moment, um, there's been more of a move on to mainstream TV um, with with more virtual virtual gaming shows. So it's filled a gap. Um, and all of a sudden, broadcaster real, I think broadcasters are seeing that actually, A, it can be very entertaining and B, there is an audience for it. So I think that in that um, the upside for for esports and gaming is that in the as we move towards whatever a new normal environment potentially looks like, I think from a broadcast standpoint, you're going to see more traditional broadcasters willing to be supported, and that's a big opportunity for the gaming world. You mentioned uh, traditional broadcasters having more uh, acquiring more esports rights. Uh, recently, ESPN did a deal uh, to show the NBA 2K League. Can we expect more of that happening? Seeing esports as a viable rights acquisition, I, th- I think there is there, there is that opportunity. But I think what, what as once that happens, I think you then got to look at the, tr- the the way that the broadcasts are delivered and developed. And sometimes the gameplay in itself um, needs you, know, you people need to understand it more. You need to you need to see they understand the the people behind it, the personality, the show. And I think what the, the importance there then becomes building sort of reason to care content which traditional sports are very good at um around 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 the uh, around the, the the particular game understand who the people are and then bring that game to life in an entertaining way rather than just the delivery of um of 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 the gameplay and i think the ufc you know, you know, we through Amanda Lawson, our head of the um, Gfinity, our, our head of uh, production and content. You know, Amanda came from an ITV background, then to sort of UFC, and then into into our world. And and you realise very very quickly that uh, unless people know who the in UFC example of who the people are and where they come from, what's their stories, um, then actually the event itself can be a little bit nondescript in, in many ways. You could say so. It's quite quite a quite a violent um, environment if you don't understand the stories. And while you know, esports is not is 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 uh, is not a um, on the on the same way as uh, you know UFC in terms of the, the product, but it is about who the people are, where they came from, why they're so good, how they got there, um, and understand the intricacies and the skills of the game because they are there. And bringing that together in an entertainment-based package, I think, is what's going to take um, take the you know make it more interesting and get more broadcasters involved. And so, yeah, I would uh, say yes, you are going to see you're going to see more. Opportunities for esports in, main, in on mainstream TV. 
And a recent example of that would be the uh, Formula One Virtual Grand Prix, which of course has been shown on Sky Sports here in the UK. Uh, and that's been filmed at uh, Gfinity Arena in London. What's your take on that, Ben, in terms of how they how they put that together and, yeah, and I, the success it's having? I think that's that's a that's a it's a it's a great exa- it's a great example, and we are very proud to 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 be working with uh, working with them for a for a long period for three three years. Uh, this is our fourth year working together, and I think what Formula One realised earlier on is that uh, early on is that they like most other uh, sports rights holders they have an ageing population. Of, uh, of viewers and fans, and um, and if you can find a way of uh, of utilizing esports to bring a younger fan base in, then then that creates major opportunities for you moving forward. And it doesn't mean that the people, the younger the younger people that are watching uh, you know Formula One esports are going to be watching you know every every Grand Prix on TV. But what they are doing is they're getting a, a brand experience, a Formula One brand experience, which they otherwise wouldn't have wouldn't have got. So that's one sort of the, of bringing the age of the fan of the fan down is is one advantage. Another advantage is you're creating new revenue streams in the in the in the virtual world. Um, so I think that's another another example. And I think the other thing, which is you know, we, we saw we saw this week, there was amazing racing this week this weekend um, uh, in the virtual Grand Prix. Is that you know, for the majority of time with the personalities of a Formula One driver, you don't you don't get to, a you don't get to see them because because ninety eight percent of the time they've got a helmet on. Um, and you don't really get to, in the racing environment. You don't. You don't really get their personality comes through. All of a sudden, you've got Charles Leclerc um, sweating through his t-shirt, talking about what he was eating and drinking afterwards, re- reconnecting and uh, with relationships with people he carted with of uh, many sort of, you know, ten years previously and grown up with. And all of a sudden, you start to see the personalities of the drivers more. So I think these they, they combine well. When you do it, it's like it's, it should never either be either or. I think it's a question of how they, uh, the physical as well as the virtual, can uh, reinforce and strengthen the relationship fans have with the with the sports. So that, in particular, has been a, has been a major success for Formula Formula One and for Gfinity to be involved in it. Focusing on Gfinity specifically, what changes have you had to make in the last few months in terms of how you operate given the current climate? Well, I think one of the first things that you you, you mentioned there about the Gfinity Arena, you know, one one of the things is important for us. You know, if we go back uh, back into March, where we had two large activities planned, which were the Formula One Draft Show, which was a large event in the Gfinity Arena, and uh, the the Premier Premier League Final, um, and both of those were postponed. And so, you know, what we were we realised that um, we want we needed to and we wanted to keep our arena open, and so we went to sort of great lengths to. Um, make it uh, you know, suitable to and fit with all the guidelines and COVID guidelines to to keep it open, um, and which was you know, a lot of lot of work. And it was, but it was the right thing to do because it means that we could then Formula One came back and said, okay, we can't do the physical event, but we want to do these virtual. Could you create virtual Grand Prix for us and challenge Formula One drivers? And so we could do that virtually, but out of the out of the Gfinity Arena. Um, so that was a that was a very sort of a positive move for us to to make. Um, and E Premier League, you know, it was uh, while we didn't do the fight, we weren't working on the, um, the final, which should happen later later on in the year. Um, what we are working on now is the invitational tournaments. Um, so they're being being sort of held remotely, but uh, you know, produced out of by Sky, but with our feeds from the Gfinity Arena. So you know, we've we've we had to make some changes there in in how we operate um, 
you know, out of uh, out of our our you know, the home of esports uh, in Fulham Broadway. Uh, that was one change that we had to make. But you know, we had to make some tough decisions on 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 some on some people in terms of uh, some furloughing. But really, is to then sharpen the focus of the business and make sure that we go deeper into a fewer areas and uh, the, that and, and help those grow in the in the uh, in the weeks and months ahead. This is the Sports Pro Podcast. And you mentioned you mentioned the the e Premier League. Uh, you were appointed to host the online qualifiers and playoff rounds uh, for the next instalment of e Premier League USA. That was that was obviously postponed. Do you know what the latest is on that? No, I think yes. Yeah, so I think I think what the the Premier League and is is looking at and has gone to the uh, you know, realizing that. Um, you know, the, the programs that were in place are, are planned to happen later on, and they'll, they'll postpone them to later on in the year. But they realised that there was a gap. There was a gap to be filled, and uh, to their credit, and to uh, and to the clubs identifying the the uh, invitational tournaments. And I don't know whether you had the chance to watch last week's, um, but you know the final, the, the final, which um, which uh, Wolves Wolves won. Um, golden goal semi-final between uh, Trent Alexander and Sterl- and uh, Raheem Sterling. It was just it was just phenomenal. It was phenomenal television, and uh, and so if you know that, that was so good that they did it again this this week. Unfortunately, my team West Ham went out in the first round again, um, but hopefully they'll run another one and we may get uh, get past the over the first hurdle. But you, you see the numbers of people that are watching, engaging, and uh, and BBC sort of showing on the on the on BBC Sports website, uh, you know, packages of the of the highlights. You know, it's filling it's it's filling a gap and again showing the personalities of the player in a completely different way um, than you would see traditionally through uh, through the through the live sport. Looking at the wider industry, a, a lot a lot's been made on how esports has been able to keep going through people streaming at home, uh, things like that. You know, uh, competitions like the League of Legends World Championships that you know takes place in in huge huge stadiums, attracts tens of thousands of fans. Do you think live events and adding to that stadium experience are important as part of esports' growth? I think it's it's as, as mentioned before. I think it's a sort of that move from from going from an online environment into a large physical environment has been the sort of the growth of where it's happened. I think what we have to see now is, you know, so that added to the excitement, that added to the uh, you know, probably the part of the growth of of, of those act, of those activities. Uh, but fundamentally, you know, it's an on, it's an online product, and and you can you can deliver it in a smart, exciting way um, through through digit through the digital channels. So I think that uh, you know there there is there you, know, you 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 can run these and have these activities that have been done virtually. Um, so I don't think uh, it has quite the same limitations um, on the the continuation and, and growth of excitement around esports versus the traditional sport environment. I think where it becomes a challenge if you're an organisation or a business that was uh, you know dependent on live activity and uh, and um, you know, I think that's where you know, where the where the problem where the problem lies because I don't see large gatherings of people for uh, as in traditional sport for for a number of months or potentially longer in in the in the near future. Uh, so more online activity, more good packaging of content that can be used um, and and on on broadcast in in traditional broadcast environments um, will help keep it uh, you know, help continue to broaden the appeal 
of, of the games and broaden the audience and get into an even more mainstream audience. But some of those games, you know, you need to understand what's going on. You need to have good um, background and insight because it's not quite as easy to follow as FIFA. And when things do get back to normal, hopefully in the not too distant future, and and those those live events do happen again, and, and inevitably you feel inevitably in terms of esports rise, they will get bigger and bigger. Having those full stadiums, do you think that, in a way, kind of legitimizes esports to perhaps the, the casual fan that that you wouldn't class as your competitive gamer? As I mentioned, I think esports for young, you know, young the young consumer, I think, said no to passive entertainment a long while ago, and and, and they've said yes to interactive entertainment, and esports fits into that into that world, and that's what young people are doing today, and they're going to continue, and they're going to continue to do. I think it's a you know they they love gaming. And they want to embrace um, they embrace new games, and and as well as the traditional games that they love, you know. Just to, just to give you an example, you know, one of the, one of our areas of um, that we've been growing over the last uh, last nine to ten months has been uh, so our own community, our, our web channels of Gfinity Esports as well as uh, Real Sport. Uh, ten months ago, um, Gfinity Esports, we were getting roughly twenty thousand uh, page views a month which we hadn't put much energy and emphasis. It was just happening. You know, in, in April, it was 21 million. And, and that's, we've seen significant growth over the last two or three months. But I think what it shows is that, and it's similar things are happening with real sport as, with the real sport as well, is that you know, the, the gamer is looking for great content. They're looking for information. They want to get better. They want to compete. They may not want to always be at that top end of the, uh, of the of the spear when it comes to um, the professional side of things but they love finding out more and learning more and and, and being part of communities and uh, i think that's what is going to uh, to take and, and and make esports even bigger and even more attractive to commercial brands that want to associate with that and get to that gaming audience to get to that gaming audience and that top end of those big pro- events will provide a, a you know a very valuable sort of a tool for the game publishers to um, to expand and, and, and build excitement that then filters down. And you've mentioned some of the, the challenges uh, for the industry so far. Uh, and obviously esports has had, uh, you know, a, a spike in interest because of the lack of the lack of live action from elsewhere. With that said, what, what do you think, what do you think esports has, has done, has done well during the pandemic so far? I think the it's, what what what's what's happened. Well, I think you've you've seen you know, in the in the tradi- in the traditional more. Tra- so I think you break it down into two areas. There's the you know, there's the, tra- the traditional esports um, where they've maintained and made sure that those competitions are still going on. There's still a lot of live activity and um, and you, you, people can still watch. There's still good communication that's being built around that. So I think on that side, esports has maintained that audience, filling the gap and putting out good content into the into the sort of traditional environments where where gamers can can find and get access to, to to great content they like to watch and engage with. So I think that's been has been pretty steady, consistent, and. I think you saw recently with the news from both Activision and EA on their numbers for the first quarter. You can you can see what's what's happening there. Are very positive. Then I think the other side has been is has been the um, the 
sort of traditional sports rights holders looking to to get involved you know again building interest even the tennis you know, the tennis with andy murray's recent competitions the virtual grand national um the virtual grand prix that we've been working on we did an e-cricket with uh, joffre archer and Stuart Broad facing off against the West Indies with uh, with Holder and a, and a number of other great great names and talent being involved. So I think what's uh, what's happened what's happening there is that um, traditional sports are embracing the opportunity that uh, esports and gaming provides, and so that brings more people into the into the fold. And ultimately, that's going to make uh, um, a, a greater willingness in the important area of broadcasters being open to showing more esports and competitive gaming shows um, in their in their schedules. Yeah, and it's been interesting seeing the number of traditional sports that have turned to to esports to try and get live action. Uh, at the moment, they can't you know they can't just rely on on archive content. No, I was going to say there's there's only there's only so many uh, so many goals of the uh, Premier League. 2015 you can you can you can see i think but say i think what what this is what they're realizing and i think what some of the players uh, and uh, players are realizing is that you know this gives them an opportunity to let um fans see a different side to them and see their personalities and see the fun that they that they can have in a less pressurized environment than they traditionally operate in and you know so i think what you are seeing and and it's great that you know, people like Joffre Archer. He was, you know, he's played, he's doing cricket. He's doing, I think he was playing for Manchester United in the uh, Invitational in FIFA. He was in the Formula One. He's in the sort of uh, Formula One, um, and and I think in some of the driving activities potentially in the future. You know, he's, he's involved with uh, Ben Stokes was and Stuart Broad in the Formula One. So you've got cricketers out there. You've got footballers opening doing Ian Porter playing uh, doing driving as well as uh, as golf so i think what you're seeing is some some great names that are open to do something different presenting a, a, a different side of their personality and finally actually they're very very engaging and it makes for good entertainment and i think that's the is a key to this it's not always about the quality of the gameplay you see it's the fact that you're seeing interesting people outside of their comfort zone um, the people you know, and you're you're seeing themselves open up their personalities more, and you know, good TV and, and and good entertainment and content is usually about stories about personalities. So, this has been really helpful, I think. Do you think that's one of the key uh, learnings that traditional sports can can take from this and apply going forward? Sort of putting um, putting the athletes front and center, and sort of giving access to them that, that perhaps they wouldn't have beforehand. Yeah, I, th- I think it's. Um, yeah, there there isn't there is an element of that. Unfortunately, sometimes you see the you you see sort of football clubs or when they're doing well and their players are involved and you know more insights into their lifestyles and Instagram. It's great when they're not doing so well. They they sh- they shouldn't be doing it, etc. And so, I think we can as fans of games, we like to see our stars in their area when they're supposed to be focused on doing scoring goals, stopping goals, creating goals, etc. Um, and scoring tries. You want them to be uh, to be one hundred percent focused. But I think what this is what this is showing is that the to to protect your you know the the essence of your club or your of, of your sport um relying just on the traditional ways of doing things is not going to suffice what you're going to need to do is find ways of appealing to younger fans and bringing them into your world um in a way that uh, may be different from the past and the inertia of being a football fan or a cricket fan or a uh, rugby fan etc um is, is just isn't there 
uh, in the same way. And you know, if you're a if you're a Manchester United, uh, you, know, you say that you like Manchester United, but you actually more may like Call of Duty and FIFA more than you like Manchester United. So how do I find ways of connecting uh, the two the, the, your two passions, which is football and gaming, in a way that uh, reinforces my my brand and gets you involved in 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 uh, understanding what uh, you know this, this club is all about? But it may mean you have to try and approach that in a different way. And and I think that's what uh, what sports clubs and uh, and franchises are, and sports rights holders are learning in this period is that there's another world out there that uh, they need to find ways to connect with because if they don't they're going to lose the younger fan and that next generation coming through because that there is so much more opportunity um, and for them and things for them to do. And they've got to find ways of using, uh, of, of connecting through something that young people are passionate about, and that's gaming. Join the conversation with the Sports Pro community. Follow us on Twitter at Sports Pro. Find us on Instagram at sportspro.media. And connect to Sports Pro Media on LinkedIn, where you can also become a part of our specialist OTT community. Sports Pro, connecting and inspiring the business world of sport. Okay, that'll do it for another edition of the Sports Pro Podcast. Thank you again to John Clark and to Ed Dixon for their contributions there. Thank you, Albin Deschelot. Thanks to you. And Julian Tan. Thanks, Ewan. Thanks to all of you for listening. Remember that we do have the Sports Pro Podcast Extra going out alongside these weekly podcasts. Uh, listen out for an interview with Ladies European Tour Chief Executive Alexandra Armas about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, not just on golf, but on women's sport more generally. And yeah, other than that, we will be back with you again next week. Bye-bye. The Sports Pro Podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. The producer is Ed Dixon. 